0: But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want to just look around to see how packed this place is. And I'll tell you why. You know, Easter attendance is one thing. But Good Friday attendance, I think this is a testimony to your faith in Christ and really a testimony to the Christ in whom your faith rests, that only a, such a Savior that compels us to love Him because of His great love for us could pull something like this off. Um, I couldn't resist going to the airport this week when I saw the U.S. News and World Report magazine. You know, every Easter, you can always count on one of the news magazines needing to do something religious to boost sales. And so, why was Jesus killed? Right on the front of the article. And then, of course, scholars find new clues about the crucifixion. Well, of course, I wanted to read the article, so I bought the magazine, read the article about these new clues as to why Jesus was killed. The article cites John Crosston in one of his books, and the article says, quote, The Romans went after Jesus because they considered him a political subversive. From day one in Galilee, Jesus was waging a frontal assault on Roman commercialism. He opposed the dislocation of peasant life caused by Roman building boom in Galilee it's not a surprise that he gets himself executed. He's putting the kingdom of God up against Caesar and he's going to get squashed. It's just a matter of when. Now, that isn't even remotely close to being accurate. Jesus had no contention or quarrel at all with the Roman government. In fact, The only public trial that Jesus faced before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor said, I find no fault in this man. As far as Pilate was concerned and as far as Rome was concerned, they weren't at odds. Now The article goes on to cite that there was religious opposition, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, purveyors of the law in the temple. They clashed with Jesus. And of course, this was true. But rather than trying to write an article or every year trying to find somebody to blame for the cross, it was the Jews, it was the Romans, the truth be known, I put Jesus on the cross. He died for my sins. He died for the sins of the world. It was not a a colossal um, mistake. It was not some kind of a murder plot as much as it was a divine appointment. Jesus came into this world to pay for the sins of you and me. Listen to what Jesus said at one point. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Well, as I concluded this article on why Jesus was killed, and uh, the article was sort of pondering this fact of why do Christians get together to celebrate, of all things, the death of their founder? I thought back to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians when he said the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. The trouble with uh, some folks is that too many want to celebrate Easter without Calvary, without Good Friday. The reason Easter is so joyous is because of what we commemorate on this day, His sacrifice. The very first Christian funeral I attended was a funeral of a friend of mine who was my contemporary when I was in my early twenties. He died of cancer. He was a believer. His funeral was sad, but it was a time of rejoicing. We had our hands raised, we were singing songs because we knew where Jerry was. And you know, one eye closed in worship, one eye opened, I could see some of the unbelievers who were dotting the landscape of that funeral. And the looks on their faces. How can these people sing at somebody's funeral? must be the same reaction that outsiders would have as they drive up and down Osuna Road, middle of the day on a Friday. They know it's Good Friday and they go, what is it about Good Friday that compels them? We're commemorating what the cross can do for us. The cross was, of course, Jesus' goal from birth, from before birth. Somewhere in eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit conferred, and it was decided upon that since mankind has gotten themselves into such a dilemma, a dilemma, (laughs) such a mess, something had to be done that was only drastic in measure, and that's what the cross was about. Something drastic had to be done because of what happened from the Garden of Eden onward. In World War I, a young man was shot and brought into a hospital. His arm had been so badly uh, maimed that it had to be amputated. This young man was a, a perfect, what we would call, perfect specimen of manhood. The doctor grieved having to cut off his arm, knowing that this, young kid would grow the rest of his life not having the use of it. It was a shame. And so the doctor, after the surgery, stayed at the young man's bedside till he could regain consciousness to break the bad news to him. And the young man, kind of in and out of anesthesia, finally woke up and the doctor said, Young man, I have some very bad news to tell you. You lost your arm. The young man had enough wherewithal To look straight into the doctor's eyes and say, no, you're mistaken. I didn't lose my arm. I gave it for my country. That was his perspective. I didn't lose it. I gave it. Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave his life. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and to take it up again. That's what we are doing here, celebrating with these elements. We've been studying on the weekend the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross, and the last one is in Luke's Gospel. We come to that today right before we take communion. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. One verse. Verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out, With a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Notice the designation, Father. A term of intimacy, more than just a a thing Jesus used when he prayed, It denoted a special relationship that he had with God. When he was 12 years old, he said, I must be about my father's business. He gave the Sermon on the Mount and he employed this term of endearment 17 times. In his last and longest, and I would say greatest sermon, in the upper room with his disciples, 46 times he speaks of his father. And then six more times in the Garden of Gethsemane during His Passion. Father, the hour has come, He said. Father, not as I will, but as You will. There's only one exception, and that is on the cross before this when He cried, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? As there was a severing that took place in that father-son relationship for a moment. Now it is restored. Now the cross ends as the cross began. Father, forgive them was the first statement. The last statement, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The alienation caused by sin is over. The sin bearer is making his grand exit from this earth and he employs the language of intimacy. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Question, what's your relationship with your God like is it intimate it can be because Jesus said you can use that term for yourself when you pray he said say our father a relation of intimacy I hope it is that close Uh, too many Christians I fear are removed it's the language of austerity rather than intimacy They call God, not my father, but the good Lord. I think it's always a giveaway when somebody says, you know, the good Lord, it's sort of distant rather than he's my Lord, he's father. Or addressing him as thou dread, sovereign ruler of the universe, though he is, and we ought to respect him, Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you Friends, And with that friendship comes the intimacy with the Father. I hope you enjoy that with your Heavenly Father. i tell you what, if I were to ever come home to my house, and my family, they'd never do this, but if they ever did, say something like that, Oh, thou great pastor of Calvary. First, I think it's a joke. But second, it would insult the father heart that I have with my son and the relationship I enjoy with my wife. We call him Abba, do we not? It means daddy. There's intimacy there, Paul said. A.W. Tozer remarked, the average Christian thinks of God as being at a safe distance and looking the other way. He's looking your way. Are you looking his way? So what's your relationship with God like? Second question I want to ask you. What would it take to sever that relationship? What would it take to sever the relationship? There are some who, at the slightest change in their life or irritation in their life, are ready to get their eyes off of the Lord. Is it an affliction? Some suffering? Some expectation that hasn't been met in your life? death of a family member or loved one? Personal disease? What would it take for you to run from God, to hide yourself from God, to look the other way? Jesus in His hour of pain was still connected at the beginning and at the end with His heavenly Father. Father. Notice the destination as well. Father, into your hands. I love this. Because for 12 long hours, Jesus has been in the hands of sinful, wicked men. They beat him. They mocked him. They spat on his face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put spikes in his body. They put a spear in his side eventually. And now he's saying, Father, into your hands I commit. That's the destination. God, the Father's hands. When Jesus was in Galilee, he predicted the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. In Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, you by your wicked hands have crucified and slain. All of that is now about to finish. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In the Father's hands in moments He will be joined with Him. In three days He will rise again. In forty days He will ascend to His right hand and be with Him for good. And what a difference it is to be in the Father's hands for Jesus rather than man's hands. Listen to what Philippians tells us after it says that Jesus emptied Himself and died on the cross. Therefore, here's God's hands. therefore God has exalted Him And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth, of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the destination, the hands of God. Finally, notice the determination. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. John in his gospel says he gave up his spirit or he excused himself from physical life and yielded up his spirit as his life force breathed his last breath and was gone. There's truth in this I don't want to miss. It shows us, and bear with me here, I'll tell you why, that Jesus died actually. You say, well, we already know that. But there are some people that don't they think, well, Jesus didn't quite die. He swooned. That's one theory, the swoon theory. He fainted from exhaustion, fainted from loss of blood on the cross, was put in the tomb, not quite dead. The dampness of the tomb, you know, medical science back then, they they couldn't really tell if he was dead or not, even though a sword went in the side and out from the pericardium came blood and water. Let's just dismiss that. The theory says that he was placed in the tomb The cold, damp nature of the tomb, the aromatic spices from burial revived him, healed him, and he came forth. Now think about how ludicrous and really idiotic that is. Having no sleep for hours, because he was arrested in the garden, went through several trials. No food, no water, crown of thorns into his scalp, which causes massive bloodletting hematidrosis, a medical condition of sweating great drops of blood from the tiny capillaries in the scalp, the crown of thorns, the spear in the side, the nails in his hands, the flogging itself. Being in that condition, do you think being in a cold, damp place is going to make it better? No medical attention. You're going to somehow have strength to unwrap yourself from bandages that are tightly wrapped around your body, according to the Jewish form of burial. By the way, mixed with a hundred pounds of spices that would form an encasement. Then get up, have the strength to move away a two-ton, at least, stone. Walk past the Roman guards. See you, guys. (laughs) And then walk on feet that have been nailed through and go out in public. That is ridiculous. Jesus did not swoon. He died actually. Now, you know why that's important? Because if Jesus didn't die, he didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, this is a joke. We are of all men, said Paul, most miserable. There is no atonement then for sin. Paul said, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Jesus died actually. He released His Spirit. Brings up another point. Jesus died voluntarily. There was a time on the cross where He said, Okay, enough is enough. I paid for the sins of the world. My time is up. Usually, crucifixion lasts for a couple of days. It lasted just over six hours. Jesus yielded up voluntarily his spirit. It wasn't the nails that put Jesus on the cross. It was his love that kept him there. You've heard the saying, I asked Jesus how much he loved me, and he stretched out his arms this much. And he died. He died actually. He died voluntarily. And third, he died vicariously. That means in your place and in my place. He was a substitute. The just, said Paul, for the unjust. When he breathed his last, the atonement was done. On the day of atonement, once a year, the Jews would lay hands on a goat, a scapegoat. They would confess their sins. The goat would be led out in the wilderness to bear their sins away. The other one would be killed. All symbolic of sin being removed. That an innocent victim has taken the place of a whole bunch of people. And in this case, one person, one man, had taken the place of the sins of all the world, whoever will have them. So, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, he's going home. Now it is really done. He breathes his last. Jesus experiences actually what Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz could only dream of. When she said, as she clicked her heels together, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Jesus was the warrior going home after the battle. Victory. It's finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit on his way home. I uh, bring you back to something Jesus prayed before his death, before his arrest. He said in John 17, And now, Father, glorify me together with the glory that I had with you before this world was. Now it's being answered. He suffered. He died. He said his last words. It's completed. And now he goes home to the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. The relationship is being restored. One pastor writes these words concerning this moment. Father, the voice is hoarse. The voice that called forth the dead. The voice that taught the willing. The voice that screamed at God now says, Father, it's over. Take me home. Yes. Yes, take him home. Take this prince to his king. Take this son to his father. Take this pilgrim to his home. Come, ten thousand angels. Come and take this wounded troubadour to the cradle of his father's arms. Farewell, manger's infant. Bless you, holy ambassador. Go home, death slayer. Rest well, sweet soldier, for the battle is over. And Jesus left, but he left us these elements. This is the remembrance. This is the only commemorative thing that we're to do often to remember what he had done for us. The bread and the wine. The fruit of the vine and the bread which represents his body broken for us. As we take these elements I want you to consider these three things in your heart. The intimacy with your father that was established through blood. And since Jesus paid for it with his blood, why should you and I settle for anything less? Why let anything get in the way of that intimacy with the father? Keep that in your heart. Also, think about this. Jesus placed His life into His Father's hands. That's the safest place for your life. There may be something you're still, well, you're holding on to. Yeah, you've you've committed, well, 80%. But there's just this 20%. You just kind of, you know, it's your own deal. The safest place for your concerns, for your life, for your sin, is in His hands. You confess it. Here, it's yours. Take it. Take my life. I commit it all into your hands. And finally, this is to be an act of worship. His death was necessary to bring us life, and because of that, we worship. Whatever inconvenience it took for us to come and occupy our seat or sit on the floor or stand in the periphery or stand in the wings outside, inconvenient, tough to get in, his death, that's inconvenient, brought us life. And we worship him. And that's our attitude now, worship. Would the communion board please come? We're going to distribute the elements and then we'll all take together. us to do whenever we take the Lord's Supper, to examine ourselves. Not an easy thing to do. We can be deluded, we can be deceived, and so we have to ask God to show us openly, honestly anything that is blocking or hindering our relationship with Him, and as He reveals it to our hearts, to ask Him to take it away that we might maintain that intimacy of relationship with Him. Know that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That is his business. That's why he came. Unload your guilt. Unload your sin. Leave it behind. Don't take it with you. You may be, perhaps be holding these elements because there is such a large crowd and it could be that you came, but you don't yet personally know Jesus Christ then think of what these elements speak of. We believe that most everyone here knows Jesus, but if you don't, and you're holding these elements that speak of His body and His blood, ask Him to take away your sin. Submit your life to Him. Say to Him right now, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I ask You to forgive me, and I commit my life completely to You. I turn to You, And I want to follow you as your disciple every single day in Jesus' name. And he will hear your prayer. Because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, because his body was broken for us, take these elements with assurance and confidence that it's a finished work. Can't add to it. Let's take together. Thank you, Lord. Pause for just a moment in your own heart and just thank the Lord. Father, even as Jesus placed his life into your hands when he was breathing his last, we place our lives, our week, our year, our families, our business, we place everything in your hands, Lord. It's the safest, best place to be. And we pray that the relationship of intimacy with you as our Father, through good and through bad times, would be the same. That we would not leave and go anywhere else or lose our affection, our trust in you. But always maintain that abiding relationship. We worship you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus name. Amen.